Welcome to The Sad Bastard. I'm your host, Dave Tronowski. This week I'm changing things up a bit. The first few episodes were focused on single themes based on submissions I received on Instagram, much like the submission from Sierra that I'm going to spend a bit of time on this week. But then I'm going to do a bit of a lightning round afterwards, where I'll answer a bunch of questions as quickly as possible basically how I do it in my Instagram Q&A stories. But first, Sierra wrote in, trying to fight the urge to self-sabotage when good things come along. Well, Sierra, pretty much my entire life up until very recently has been filled with self-sabotage. Relationships, my physical and mental health, my future. Self-sabotage is the antithesis of self-respect. It stems from a lack of self-confidence, self-love. It's such an easy thing to do if you don't feel like you're worthy of love, happiness, success, whatever it is that you have right in front of you. If your self-love isn't strong enough, it's hard to believe that this good thing will last. So often, you'll kill it before it hurts you. And we do it for a variety of reasons, and not all bad, but we don't typically go about it in the best of ways. Sometimes it's a form of self-protection. For instance, you meet someone new and it feels good, but you know it isn't for you. Or it is, but not right now. Say you just broke up with someone and you still haven't healed, and you know you need time. Or you're simply just too busy to devote the time to anything romantic. Whatever your reason is, you just know you can't do it. You don't have the energy. You want it, but you also don't. But when it comes to being upfront and honest about those things, you don't want to be an asshole and say so, and hurt the person by telling them the truth. So instead, you decide to be an even bigger asshole and ghost them. Or one day they text you and you're in a bad mood and you just get mean and chase them away. It's much easier to be cruel than it is to be kind. But once you go that route, in all likeliness, you will do it again and again, like a reflex. And it will turn from self-preservation to self-sabotage. This sort of thing happens all the time, especially nowadays with many people spending their lives almost entirely online. It's so easy to get distracted when there is an almost limitless amount of people you can talk to at any moment of the day. Which includes a lot of people who might be right for us if we feel ready for a relationship. Or even if we just feel ready for a good fuck. Too many choices can lead to overload. We only have so much time in the day and we've got shit to do. I know I do. And this could lead to a lot of flakiness, which in turn can lead the people you're flaky with to distrust others and not want to even try again with someone else. I hear from people about this subject all the time. And I've experienced this very thing many times over the years on both sides of the equation. This is far from a new phenomenon. 
people are complex creatures. We change our minds almost instantly sometimes and aren't even quite sure why. We just go from yes to ew and then poof, we're gone. Maybe the person you're talking to is just so enamored with you that they want to talk all the time and you don't, you just don't have the time. And maybe the opposite happens and you want more from them and they're just not giving it. No one likes to have uncomfortable conversations, but those are the ones most worth having and not just for the other person. The more you face something head on, the more honest you are with yourself from the start, the less you will self-sabotage. Understanding why we do things is part of understanding who we are. And that shit can take many, many years. I'm 42 and I'm only just beginning to understand who I am and why I do the things I do and to change those things. And self-sabotage is one of the things I'm working on eliminating from my life. And this applies to long-term relationships as well, if not even more. Sometimes it takes a long time to sabotage something. Sometimes you don't even realize you were doing it until after it's done. And that is usually because you don't want to lose the person. You love them but you also know things just aren't right. You aren't happy, or at least not as happy as you want to be, but you don't want to leave. So in the end, you force them to be the one to do it. You're so afraid of having the difficult conversations that it's easier to blow up the relationship than to be honest. Which, when you think about it, is fucking absurd. But it's what we do. I'll say it again, we're complex creatures. A large part of why my ex and I split was that I didn't feel like I was good enough for her. And not just because she had her shit together and was successful in her professional life. She had a career, I had a job. She did what she loved, I hated what I did. But it was also because I felt like she was a much better person than I was. I knew I was a good person, or more good than bad, as I don't believe any of us are all one or the other. No matter how much of a piece of shit someone is, there is some good in them. Even if it's so tiny, it's barely there. Just like no matter how good someone makes themselves out to be, there are always skeletons in their closets that they pretend don't exist. None of us are completely innocent. We all have our flaws, our toxic traits. And side note, I absolutely fucking hate that word. It's so overused that it means nothing anymore. And the people who use it the most are the ones who are least likely to face their own bad behavior and own up to their own toxicity. And that's something we all need to do. My ex-wife is the best person I've ever met. Certainly the best person I've ever been lucky enough to be with. But that was just it. I felt lucky to have her. I didn't feel like I deserved her. 
And so I did a lot of things to try to sabotage our relationship to make her believe that. I lied, I hid things from her, I obfuscated, I gaslit. I did so many things to make her leave me. And it's really a wonder how she put up with my shit for so long. I wouldn't have. Well, actually I probably would have. Because my self-love was almost non-existent until very recently. And it's still a fragile thing. It's gonna take time for it to fully grow and replace the self-hate. Trauma. A lot of it from my childhood had made me believe I wasn't worthy of good things. I always think back to one moment, one brief flash from my past that has lingered with me for my entire life since. I was in eighth grade. I was 13 and had a lot of friends. I was a happy kid for the most part. And one day in the schoolyard, we were all fucking around, as kids will do. And a bunch of my circle of friends decided it would be fun to see how many of them it would take to wrestle me to the ground. See, over the summer, I had gone through a huge growth spurt. And by this point, I was either at or near six feet tall. So the kids piled on me, and they couldn't take me down. So I threw them all off. One of the kids, Jason, claimed that as I was doing this, I hit him in the face. If it had happened, it was an accident, part of the whole roughhousing thing, but he was pissed. I found out about this sometime after from one of my friends, and they told me that Jason wanted a fight. Now, I'd never been in a fist fight before. I mean, sure, I have older brothers. They kicked the crap out of me on more than one occasion. But that's what brothers do, right? But this was different, and I was scared. So instead of confronting it head on, I ran. I avoided this kid like the plague. And it wasn't because he was bigger than me or anything. If anything, I had like four or five inches on him at least. I just didn't want to fight. I didn't understand why I had to. But then the issue was forced upon me. And this moment in my life is why I'm telling this story. I was walking a couple of blocks from school with a couple of friends of mine, Todd and Chris. The three of us had formed a separate bond from the rest of my friends. I felt closer to them than I had with the others. And suddenly someone shouted my name from behind and I froze. I knew this was it. When I turned around, it looked like the entire school was coming towards me. Jason leading the pack. And a lot of kids that I had considered my close friends were right behind him. Within moments, Jason and I were in the center of this gigantic mass of kids. There was no way out. I had to fight. He started fake jabbing at me like we were boxers all of a sudden, and he danced around me in a circle. I could still see the smirk on his face, no doubt in response to the fear that must have been all over mine. And then, and I don't remember at all how this happened, I had him in a headlock. I didn't know what to do other than just hold him there. I could have punched him, I could have choked him, but I just stood there holding him with my arm around his neck. 
Hey, someone shouted from the distance. I let Jason go, and we turned to see that it was one of the deans from school. He pushed his way through the crowd and confronted us. All right, who started this, he said. He looked at me, he looked at Jason, then he looked back at me. You, get out of here, he said, no doubt seeing the fear all over my face. I did as he said, walking down the block as calmly and casually as I could. And when I turned the corner and was out of sight, I ran home as fast as I could. Within minutes, my doorbell began to ring over and over and over again. I knew it was them. I walked over to the windows at the front of the house. I'd lived on the second floor. And I crouched down and peeked through the blinds and saw the street was filled with kids. Now here's the part that truly scarred me. Jason didn't know where I lived, but my friends did. My friends had led him right to me. That was 29 years ago, Sierra. 29 years. And I'm still getting over that shit. That day made it hard for me to believe that anyone could be trusted. And it made it even more hard for me to believe that anyone truly liked me or anyone would ever truly love me. I went from being a happy kid to a kid who hated himself in less than an hour. It's only been recently when I started realizing my worth. And it was when I started to be honest with myself, to face up to my shit and get it sorted, to deal with my past, to start loving myself and forgiving myself and moving forward, to start feeling worthy of other people's love and believing that I am. Just last year, my closest friend Brian said I love you to me for the first time during a phone conversation. And it made me cry. It was tears of joy. It was also tears of relief. I had been close with him for over a decade and we've grown much closer in recent years. But because of that experience with my friends, nearly 30 years ago. I couldn't believe that he cared that much because I hadn't cared that much about myself. I always believed that people in my life would leave me and that led to self-sabotage for the rest of my life. I either left or I made people leave because it was going to happen at some point anyway. That moment of connection with my friend telling me I was so important to him that he loved me was as powerful as the trauma I had experienced as a kid, only in the exact opposite way. And I might not have believed it had I not started taking care of myself, had I not admitted to myself that I needed help and started seeing a therapist, had I not started to be vulnerable not just with others, but myself, first and foremost. To love myself so I could finally, truly feel the love of someone else. 
Unfortunately, all of that happened a little too late to salvage my marriage. By the time I finally felt worthy of her, the damage I had done because of my lack of self-love and self-respect had made it irreparable. It wasn't just that, of course. There are a lot of ingredients that go into the shit cake that is a breakup. We had grown in opposite directions, we wanted different things out of life. Or the things she wanted weren't the things that I wanted. Hell, I didn't even know what I wanted out of my life until very recently. Self-sabotage happens for many reasons, and different people do it in different ways. I can only speak for myself and share my own experiences. But one thing I learned from my ex, too late for us but not too late for me in my life going forward, is the importance of setting boundaries. I learned the hard way that if you don't set boundaries for yourself out of fear of upsetting someone or even losing them, you are selling yourself short period. You are sacrificing part of yourself to make someone else happy. But if you were doing that to get them to love you, are they truly loving you? If you aren't being your authentic self, they're loving a lie. And if the lie is big enough, the truth will out eventually. You can't pretend to be something you're not or pretend to not be something you are forever. You either become the lie or lie to get what you want. And will you ever truly love them? You'll certainly resent them after a while, especially if they love themselves enough, if they care about their own well-being enough to have set boundaries for themselves. Boundaries that you didn't feel comfortable with but acquiesce to in order to feel loved or safe or whatever your reason was. After a while, it can feel like you live your life like a wild horse, penned in by the way they want things to be, since you didn't create your own boundaries and declare how you needed things to be for you from the start. And so you begin to undermine them, and you begin to see them as the enemy. Why do they get to make all the rules? Well, because you let them. Instead of being true to yourself and being honest with them, with what you wanted and didn't want from the very beginning, you gave them all the power. Stepping into your own power, knowing what you want and what you won't settle for, at the very beginning of any kind of relationship, that shit takes bravery. It takes risking rejection. But if you don't, you just end up rejecting yourself. The same thing applies to anything in your life, not just romantic relationships. Family, friends, professional relationships, whatever you decide to devote your time to. You are the most important thing in your life. The minute you put anyone or anything above you, you become less important. You take on a junior role. Simply put, if you don't set boundaries for yourself, you become weak. You will likely resort to self-sabotage to regain the power you relinquished. For instance, 
Part of how I sabotaged both of my marriages was by not saying from the outset that I didn't want kids. My first wife called me false advertising when we broke up because I was always like, sure, I want kids. It was never, yes, kids are my dream. But also it was never no. I was always ambivalent about them. In theory, I wanted them. I always felt like I'd be a great dad. But I didn't want to give up my freedom. I mean, talk about putting someone above me. Children need to be more important than us by virtue of their helplessness. And quite frankly, I was still a child. I didn't stop being a man-child until very recently. I still have my moments. I said yes to please them. I said yes to avoid potential rejection. But now I'm single again, at a time when I finally know what I truly want out of life. And I have finally decided that that's a boundary of mine. No kids. Maybe that will change one day, when I get to a point where I feel like I've achieved some success and I'm ready, but not now. I also set a boundary for myself after my second wife and I split. No dating for a year. I need to focus on myself, to live my life on my terms, and I'm doing it. And I'm happier with myself than I've ever been. I feel like I'm being true to myself. I feel proud of myself. I feel powerful. And one day when I'm ready, I'll be able to truly love someone. And hopefully I won't feel the need to self-sabotage because I'll feel like I'm worthy of their love. Because I'll truly love myself. Thanks for writing in, Sierra. I really hope this helped. And now, folks, it's lightning round time. Virginia writes... The love of my life left me. I've been crying every day nonstop, and it's not getting better. I'm sorry you're going through this, Virginia, and that's totally understandable. Grief is fucking awful. It's one of the most painful parts of the human experience, but it will pass. I know right now it feels like it won't, but from personal experience, very, very recent personal experience, I can tell you it will. The agonizing pain will pass. You will love again. For now, grieve. Cry. Crying is a cleansing. And as time goes by, you'll find that you're crying less and less until one day you realized you hadn't cried at all that day. Next up is Michelle, who writes, How funny it is that people believe there is only one true love for each person. And I couldn't agree with you more, Michelle. It's fairy tale Hollywood bullshit, pure and simple. I mean, what are the odds that in a world filled with 8 billion people, you'll ever find your true love if there's only one for you? And what if they die? fucked up is that? You have to spend the rest of your life just like, oh well, no love for me. 
And what about the people who claim to have found them, and they found them right in their hometown? Now the odds against that are fucking staggering. I believe in the love of your life for that moment of your life. And if it happens to be your entire life, then that person was indeed the love of your life. I've had three loves in my life that I would consider true love. I'm looking forward to more. Next up is Jareen, who writes, four days sober and feeling great, one day at a time. First off, I'm proud of you, Jareen. The early days are the absolute worst. I'm five years and five months sober and I don't miss alcohol at all. But like I always say, you're only avoiding one drink. As long as you can keep yourself from that one moment of weakness when you say, fuck it, I'll just have one, you can stay away from it for good because it's never just that one. And the same applies to anything else. If it feels good immediately, it will feel good immediately the second time and the third time and the fourth time. But when you get to the 500th time, you need to do it just to feel normal. And you know what? The problems you are using alcohol or drugs to escape from are still there. They're just buried under another problem now, a substance abuse problem, and they're getting worse because you were using things to push them away instead of sitting with those problems. There's an analogy I like to use. If you sweep all of your problems under the rug, eventually you're gonna have one lumpy ass rug. Next up is Lisa who writes, you're wrong about the one. If you thought you had it and it's gone, it wasn't the one. As I said, Lisa, I don't believe in the one. I believe in a series of ones. If you keep looking for a one, you will never be satisfied with anyone. And also, don't tell me my beliefs are wrong. That's all they are, they're my beliefs. I'm entitled to them just as you are entitled to yours, even if yours are wrong. Next up is Mike who writes, I feel like I'm a manipulative boyfriend. Is there a chance I can get better? Mike, just the mere fact you're writing this question means you have a chance. Unless, of course, you meant do you have a chance to get better at being manipulative. And to that, I'd also say yes, you probably could. But assuming you're not an asshole, aside from the previously admitted manipulativeness, there is always a chance to be a better version of yourself. Ask yourself the hard questions. Why am I doing this? What am I hoping to get out of this? Do I truly love her? If I do truly love her, do I believe I deserve her? Really examine this relationship. And most importantly, talk to her. Ask her how she feels. Don't just assume anything. Next up is Alice who writes, I stopped eating two days ago. My therapist didn't say a word when I told him. Alice, as far as the not eating, which concerns me, I'm not a therapist and I don't know what to say, as I've never had an eating disorder other than overeating. But what I will say is this, dump that therapist. Therapists are there to care for our well-being. It's what we pay them for. It's their jobs. There are a ton of therapists out there 
and you need to find one that works for you. Don't just stick with this one because he's the one you've got. The same thing goes for anything, really. Next up is Karina, who writes, I know someday I'll meet somebody else, but it feels like it's never going to happen again. Karina, why is it every bad feeling always feels like forever? But when something good comes around, we tell ourselves it's not going to last. Flip that shit around. The bad times pass too. You will meet someone, then another and another. You just need patience. And to not spend your time waiting and being disappointed all the time. It's like waiting on a package to arrive when you didn't even order anything. Next up is Rachel, who writes, Should I text my ex? Rachel, I used to respond to this with a definitive no, but obviously every situation is different. I have exes I want to keep in my life because we were together for many years and they still have places in my heart. We don't text every day, let alone every month or every year. So if it's that kind of situation and you haven't spoken in a long time, sure, reach out. But if you've just recently broken up and say it was a definitive breakup, I'd advise against doing that, or at least not doing it very often. You both need time and space apart to heal, and texting can set you both back in that process. Now, if you're thinking of texting a random ex because you're lonely or horny, and they were a great fuck, my advice is this. Masturbate. If you still want to text them afterwards, then sure, fine. Go for it. And finally, we come to Adam, who writes, Still have feelings for someone, but they've moved on. Today, I'm just really missing them. Adam, it's okay to miss someone. We can hold on to memories of people we loved. Like mental photos and videos, we can visit them in those particular moments at any time. But if they've moved on, you need to do the same. As hard and gut-wrenching as that is. And pining for them while they've moved on isn't doing anything for you other than keeping yourself rooted in the past. Letting them go will set you free. Well, that's all for now. Thanks to everyone for writing in. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast, rate, review, and share with as many people as possible. And follow my Instagram accounts, Nick Cave and the Bad Memes, Sad Peaks, Don Trooper, Mimi Bridgers, and the Sad Bastard Pod. I'll be back next week, and until then, take care of yourselves, love yourselves, and stop fucking sabotaging yourselves. Seriously, enough of that shit. Taking me down, my friend As they usher me off to my end Will I bid you adieu? Will I be seeing you soon? What they say around here is true